I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. Really are glad all of you are here, especially if you're new. Really glad that you're, excuse me, worshiping with us today. We are in the middle of a series where we've just kind of been talking a little bit kind of who we are as a church. We've got this mural out there on the front that says you belong, and we're just kind of explaining kind of what that means, that we really mean that, you know, if you're putting that on the outside of the door, or on the outside of the building, it means that no matter who you are, where you come from, we want you to be able to come here, feel like you belong, and find access to the hope of the gospel. And so Mark and I talked about it for the first couple of weeks, and then we've been kind of talking about some different obstacles that I think churches unintentionally put between people and the gospel and how we want to overcome them. Last week, just kind of talked a little bit about how and the way that we interact with the world, we interact with cultural issues, the way that we kind of approach the deeper truths of the Bible. I think sometimes we're just too simplistic, too divisive, and it just kind of creates this kind of divisive, know-it-all kind of culture that can be really off-putting to the world that is really kind of looking for real answers to life's real questions. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, Mark was talking about going to a church, church conferences and that you go to these church conferences and it always kind of seems to be like, hey, and if you'll just follow these three to five rules, you'll have the biggest church in your area and everything will be great. And, it's not, and he's like, that's not what we're doing. But he was talking about um, church conferences, pastor conferences. I was kind of reminded there's kind of this other thing that happens in all of these is where no matter what the topic is, the speaker's going to be a pastor. Again, most of the crowd are pastors. That Everybody always takes their turn at kind of telling their worst church story where it's like, and you will not believe this interaction I had with this person from the congregation. And they said this terrible thing to me, done this thing to me. And they kind of, they kind of talk about this. And it's kind of like, you know, the sheep, which is kind of a metaphor for people who go to there. Oh, sheep, man, they bite like wolves sometimes. Am I right? <laughs> and we all, and we, and we, you know, and we all, we all feel that. And, and it's like, you know, man, being a pastor is like living in a fishbowl. They're always watching you. They're always watching you. And people are or judging you, and they expect you to be perfect. Man, guys, you don't, you don't have to be perfect. And, like, and there's, okay, woo, right? And, and here's the thing. It's kind of it's hit me, like, honestly, this week, and I hit my head. It's kind of this common theme, right, of just churches everywhere to kind of judge a pastor, to think that the pastor has to be perfect for their, to live in a fishbowl, and, like, if, you know, they're just waiting for you to fail in some way. The pastor's supposed to be perfect. I mean, it's not like you guys have some sort of, maybe you do, some sort of network, secret network where you're texting each other, church to church, like, hey, we've got to make sure we all treat our pastors like this, right? So I wonder, where did it come from? Where did church people get the idea that pastors are supposed to be perfect? Did you come up with it on your own? Did you decide this together? Or were the very people that complained about it were the people that convinced you of it. In the way that we talk, in the way that we interact, in the way that we talk about ourselves, in the way that we talk about you, in the way that we talk about the gospel, have we given you the impression that this is a place where perfect people go? And that I've got it all together, and if you'll just listen to me and love what I say and hear what I say, and if you'll just be like me in every possible way, then you also can be incredibly perfect and great, just like me and my family. We're perfect. You see our social media posts. Our family is 
perfect and I'm perfect and Jesus is great. And because Jesus is great, I also am great. And if you'll stay here long enough and tithe and serve and be a part of this great church, you too can be great like me. You think, I, I mean, I could take that on the radio, right? Good radio voice. Um, I don't know that we necessarily have meant to do it, but I think that we have. We have communicated, am I, am I most gracious, I'll say unintentionally. We have communicated that we have it all together, and if you'll just follow the rules, you can too. And then you sit there and you think, but I don't, I don't, I don't have it. And then you feel this guilt and you feel the shame and then you do, you're just like, this dude says he's perfect, and he makes me feel like I have to be perfect in order to be okay, and I'm just going to watch him. Are you really perfect? Nope, didn't think so. And it just kind of sets off this cycle. And there's a lot of problems, and, 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 and the positive thing that I think that we need to do collectively, and what we have tried to do historically here at, at the Grove is to overcome this obstacle that is put out there that people think that in order really to belong here, you have to already have it figured out. You already have to be perfect. And what we want to do is to overcome that gospel with transparency. Where it's like, I want you to know that I know that I don't have it all figured out yet. That I'm not walking in perfection. I don't want you to think that about me. I don't want you to think that about you because I think when we have to pretend or act like we have it all together, there are just an overwhelming number of dysfunctions and problems that come from that. Because if I get up here, if I talk like my family's perfect, my marriage is perfect, my, my relationship with my kids are perfect, my relationship with my extended family is perfect, my care, if it's all perfect, then my staff walk around and is like, okay, well, I need to be like that too. And the leaders that they lead, I need to be like that too. And then ultimately, everybody in the church thinks, well, this is how I have to be. And we all know we're not that. And so we pretend. And again, there are devastating consequences to that. And so we want to overcome this. And so we're going to look at a passage today with Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. And this is normally a passage that would come up in the Easter rotation. Because what we have here with Jesus is they've just had the Last Supper. They've done Passover together with his disciples. And he knows that he is about to be arrested and he's going to be executed the next day. And so we have there here in this story, and normally we just have it very Easter themes to it. But there's some, there's some ways that Jesus, I mean, he's at this very significant moment in his life where he knows that he is about to be arrested, tortured, executed, He's about to feel this incredible burden of sin, and we see the way that he conducts himself. So we're going to take a bit of a different approach to it today than we normally would during Easter, because there's some other aspects to this story that I think often kind of get overlooked that I think are really important for us. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away for a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So what we have here in this moment is Jesus is, is, knows that he's about to experience something overwhelming. He knows that he is about to be arrested, betrayed, tortured, humiliated, executed. And in addition to that, he's about to feel the burden and the weight of all of the sin of everywhere in the world. All of the sin of everyone is about to be placed on him. And he is completely and totally overwhelmed. And so what he does is he, like he, said, he takes his people with him. His, 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 his 11 disciples. Judas already gone. He's got these 11. He takes them. And he says, I want you guys to be with me. And he kind of says, hey, will you pray? And then he takes the three that he's the closest to. And he walks a little bit further into the garden and say, I'm overwhelmed. Will you stay here and pray with me? And then he goes a little bit further by himself and begins to pray to God. And I think even though I said we're not going to really kind of look at this deeply from kind of what the Easter message here is on this. But I think the Easter message that is the primary point of this passage really can kind of help us with this other idea. Because this is the night. This is the night before Jesus saved the world. That's where we find ourselves here with Jesus. We find him on the night before he saved the world. We find him here when he knows it was going to happen to him. That the entire burden of all of sin is going to be on him. And I don't know, you don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like. I know what it's like to carry my own sin, my own burden. And that feels completely and totally overwhelming. I don't know what it's like to be interacting with a person or a couple and you feel that and you want to share that burden with them. Like maybe I know what it's like to share like, have like 1.3 human units of burden. and sh- Like maybe that, like that, that's what I know, right? I know what that's like. And that can feel overwhelming. Like you're talking to somebody and they're really struggling and like it, it, it feels very heavy. And he knows that he is about to experience this, this burden of the entire world on his shoulders. And in addition to that, he knows that he is about to die and to be tortured. But he also is fully and totally aware of the significance of all of this. He knows what's about to happen. This is not just some normal execution of a wrongly accused man. He knows that because him taking this burden, he knows that he is about to save the world. He is about to take on all of this burden of sin so that you will no longer have to carry your burden. I'm going to take everyone, so now everyone here, everyone in the world has the opportunity to experience freedom from sin, to be unleashed from that burden, to experience real forgiveness, to -to face-to-face with God, to experience real grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so in every conceivable way, Jesus feels the weight 
and the power of this. He knows he's going to have to go through a lot in order for us to experience that freedom, the grace, and the forgiveness that is going to come from his death on the cross. And that's the moment where Jesus finds himself. He finds himself in this powerful moment. And the interesting thing about it, who can relate to Jesus in this moment? I mean, is he going to go to any, like, who does he know? He's like, yeah, you guys, I'm about to take on the entire burden of the entire world's sin. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Nobody knows what he's talking about. No one can relate. And even if they could, like, no one even understands what he's talking about. The gospel hasn't quite really sunk in with them. Every time he's tried to talk to them about him dying, they were like, you ain't going to die. Like every opportunity of transparency for Jesus to kind of say, hey, this is what I'm going to have to go through. Like, no, you're not, no, 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 that's not possible, not possible. That's, that's not, no, 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 no. They don't understand, and, 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 and they, can't, they can't relate to him at all. And in addition, there's no one who can help him. There isn't anyone who could help him. I mean, he's, he's got to do this. And no matter how many people he tells in advance, no one can help him. So he finds himself in this really significant moment in his life. And no one can help him. And no one can relate. And so imagine for a second if it were you. And you find yourself with some, some burden of some kind, some some obstacle that you've got, just something going on in your life that is difficult, and you look around, and there isn't anybody here who can help. And there isn't anybody here who will even really understand this. What, what would you do? What would you do? Well, we do what most of us do. And what most of us do, we would just kind of, I'm just going to pick myself up, and I'm just going to, and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Because it has to be completely up to me. But here, what we find with Jesus, he says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed. This is a quote. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Even though there was no one who could really relate who could understand, who couldn't even who couldn't help him in what he, was, what he was facing, here's what he did. He was vulnerable and transparent with his disciples. He says to, he says to them, I am overwhelmed with sorrow. He says, to the point of death. And the narrator, Matthew, who obviously he was there, he was part of this group and he talked to these three guys that were, that were closer and kind of talked to him. It's like he was describing him, sorrowful and troubled. So this is a description. So imagine it's your biography. Your biography is written, and there's a section where it's like, you know, you were described as sorrowful and troubled. And you were quoted as saying something like, I'm so sorrowful, I feel like I want to, I, 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 to the point I just, I, I just want to die. I mean, you would not look at that. Obviously, that would be a, a dark chapter, a dark point in your life. But would you think that like, I think our natural inclination to think about that would be like, I was in some sort of sin at that point. But we have here Jesus, the person who most had it all together, a perfect man, never sinned, 
in perfect relationship with God, never committed any external or internal sin, we have him here expressing this deep, dark pain with his disciples. He felt the complete and total freedom to do that. And I just try to imagine, like, like why would he do this? I mean, like, why would, I mean, was, what would we do? Like, well, I, got, I got these guys with me. We just had dinner. I can't just shoo them off. Like, hey, man, you guys just, you just come over here and, and, and you hang out over here and you, you do what you're going to do. And I'm going to go over here and pray. And he maybe comes over here and he's kind of cries and just kind of has this thing. But then he's got he's to he's wipe it all off and he's got to come back and be like, hey, Jesus, have you been crying? Like, no, nah, man. Allergies, you know, I mean, it's allergies, it's allergies. I'm just kind of, you know, I don't want to, I don't know. Really, my eyes are red, man. I've got something, got something stuck in there. And we, and, and we come up with all of these excuses very often for the expression of just kind of just real raw hurt, real raw emotion. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go two for two here, completely unrelatable stories. You've never been, you don't go to church conferences where you hear pastors complain. And you probably don't read the, these kind of theology books, these kinds of things that I've read. And, and I'm telling you, everyone has a hard time figuring out what's going on here in this passage. And so honestly, there's just parts of it that we tend to skip over, even like in the Easter telling of it. And we're just going to kind of focus on, you know, kind of Jesus anticipating the burden that's coming on Friday. Out on the cross, which is, again, the primary thrust of what's happening here in the narrative. But there's so much more to it because Jesus expressing, I mean, so, being sorrowful, being troubled. I'm so sad. I think I want to die. I mean, him saying these kinds of things, it's like, like, I just see we work so hard. It can't be that. In fact, I read this, this, this one thing that said, you know, there are people who knew that they were going to be executed for their faith. And there's stories of them singing and being joyful and being happy that they felt like they were worthy to be, to be killed for their faith. And those people went to it this one way. Jesus didn't. So clearly that's not what's going on here because these people didn't, and that's better. It's better to experience this and not be afraid and not be sad because, again, we don't, I don't know that we would say this out loud, but fear and sadness, there's just there's something wrong about that. And I read this and it, and it feels wrong, but the reality of it is real. And there were legitimate reasons why Jesus would experience this and he could have kept it from them. But he didn't, and I think there's some good reasons why. I think it was important for the disciples to see this, to kind of see and experience this raw emotion of Jesus and to kind of see modeled in him this authenticity, this realness about who I am and what I'm feeling. And, the, and it was good for them. But beyond that, I think it was good for Jesus. I think he wanted this. He did not want to go through this alone. He wanted people there with him to try and shoulder at least some of the emotional pain. Even if they can't help him tomorrow, you can be with me right now and, 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 I, can, and I can be here with you. Which is why he's so upset he comes back and they're asleep. And I want us to be able to go through. I want to. I want us. I want us to be able to do this together. Because when we have that, when we have this freedom, when I don't have to pretend, when I don't have to pretend, this is me, 
showing that I really understand the gospel in the first place. Jesus died so that I could be free. He died so I could experience forgiveness. He died so that I could live under his grace and his mercy. And if I feel like I have to keep that from people around me, that shows that me, I don't really, I don't really believe it. I don't really believe that whatever's going on inside of me, Jesus died for that. I really don't believe that, that I can experience grace. I have to hide these parts of me. I still carry some of the shame. I still carry some of the burden. And I don't really believe that Jesus died to free me from that burden. I am I'm no longer burdened. I have been forgiven. And I can experience that grace. And then if we don't, if we don't, if we continue to live lives where we keep it all in, Here's the thing. It always comes out. When we're hiding things that are going on, whether it be with Jesus where it's just kind of raw emotion, or also with us, the things that we like to hide is we like to hide our sin. When we do that, it will eventually come out. And I was playing this, I was in this icebreaker game the other day which is, I'm trying to be cool with it, is that I'm at this meeting and there's an icebreaker game. And it was like this sheet that would go around and it was like, this. you're supposed to fill in the blank. You know, my greatest fear is this, my happiest day, the most sick I've ever been. And you kind of you tell a story. It actually ended up being a great, great icebreaker game as far as they go. And there was one that was on there. It says, if my name was ever on the front page of the headlines of the newspaper, it would be for, and it just triggered me. Because you ever heard a great story where a pastor was on the front page of the newspaper, and he's like, man, yeah, yeah. Like, I just pass, I'm going to just skip past. I'm going to do that one, right? And, 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 and this happens. This happens too much. It happens so much. And, I'm, and, and it happens in part because the sin and the shame that we have, we keep it in. And we keep it in, and it eventually comes out. And it comes, it's going to come out at the worst time. It can either come out now or it can come out later. But it'll come out now. And then we pass this attitude on where you've got a sin, you've got a problem, you're feeling some anxiety, you're feeling some fear, you're starting to struggle in some area, you're starting, your marriage is starting to have some problems, your problems with your kids, problems at work, problems with finances, problems just internally, emotionally, and, and we, don't, we don't talk about them here and they eventually come out. And, and, and it and becomes a problem. And the burden becomes greater. And, and, and we're not allowing ourselves to experience the gospel and the freedom and the grace and the compassion of Jesus. But when we do, not only do we, are we able to believe the gospel, we experience it together. But it begins with all of us being willing to take this step, like Jesus did, to just be vulnerable and transparent about what is currently going on in my heart and my life. But it's not just with them. You know, he, he, he leaves the eight over here, and we've got the three here. And then he goes over here by himself, and he begins to pray. And then he says this, verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So not only was he vulnerable and transparent with his disciples, he was honest 
He was honest with the Father. He was honest with God the Father. He was honest with Him. He was troubled. He was sorrowful. And he gets into this moment of private prayer with the Father. And he says this to Him. He's like, if there's any other way, there's any other way, can we figure it out? I just, I would just, I, I just, please. But your will, not mine. The interesting thing about that prayer, again, I mean, the Father and Jesus, man, they, the son, they, they came up with this plan together. They, 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 the cup is a metaphor he uses, like this cup that you have to take. Like they built the cup. They designed the cup together. They put the drink in there together. This was the idea. And Jesus knows. He knows there's not a plan B. He knows it. He says, but his prayer is like, God, if there's a plan B, can I, can I just, can we just, can I, can I please have plan B? And he's saying it, saying it, he knows there's not. He knows there's not. And so then for some of us, that would be, oh, what, a, what a ridiculous prayer then. I didn't pray that to God. Like, so show, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a lack of faith. Like if, if we thought of ourselves praying something like that, something that we knew that God wanted us to do, that we had to do, and it was like, and is there some way I could get out of this? I would love to get out of it. But here's Jesus. He's doing that. He's like, I'm so overwhelmed just by the thought of carrying this sin and the separation that I'm going to feel from you in that moment. I'm so overwhelmed by it. I'm going to say, I wish there were something else, but I know that there's not. He's just an honesty about who he is and what he's feeling. And I wonder sometimes... When we come to God and we, and we have some burden of any kind and we feel like I can't say anything to him, like what do we think the reward is for not telling God something that he already knows? Or what is the punishment that we think is going to happen for not, I mean, for, for telling him something that he already knows? Oh, God, man, it's kind of rough out here, but I want you to know I'm good and it's good and we're going to be good and I'm good and you're good and I know you're going to keep being good. Maybe you could be a little more good than what you are right now, but it's all, I'm good. I'm not good. I mean, you, can, can you go to God and just be honest? I'm not doing that great. I'm having a hard time seeing it. I'm having a hard time seeing you. I'm having a hard time feeling you. I'm having a hard time with whatever this is. Because again, there's this thing that if I feel like not only do I have to keep it from you, because I need, I need you to make I need to make sure you think that I'm up here and not down here. But now I need to keep it from God who knows better. Because I think there's some sense in which we think, well, I've kind of graduated from all of that, and I need you to believe that I'm up here. Like even though you know he already knows. But again, it just shows that we're not really fully yet experiencing the gospel. But when you can come to God. No matter what is going on in your heart and life, for good or for bad, negative emotions, positive emotions, no emotions, I'm sinning, I'm not sinning, whatever's going on, I can be honest with him when I know that I can be honest and then I am in fact honest with him. It shows that I understand the gospel. That I know that whatever all of this is, he's already forgiven me. Whatever this burden is, Whatever the shame is, I've already been released from it. He's forgiven me. I have freedom. I have grace. I have forgiveness. I'm experiencing again in my day-to-day -day relationship with God. 
the freedom of forgiveness. I'm experiencing the power of the gospel. And it's not just something that I believe. It's not just a point of theology for me. It is something that I experience. And so it's important. It's important for us as a church to do this because we don't want anyone to ever to come in here and feel like that um, I'm not good enough. I don't have it all figured out. It's important for that. It's important for new people. But it's important for us too. It's important for us to live the freedom of the gospel. To live it, to know it, to experience it. And I love my small group. I love my small group so much. That mostly it's people around our age in very similar seasons of life, though some of us still have young kids. And, and we've, got, we've got aging parents. Most of us have a adult kids now, kind of in the similar seasons in our career. And it's, it's, just, it's just amazing to me how most Sundays when we get together, we're all experiencing the same things, the same struggles, the same burdens. And I love just for me to have a place where, and Charlie, how are you doing? And in that moment, there is nothing but freedom to give an answer. I was tested on this not an hour ago, right after the first service, where a guy comes up to me. I've known him. He's been coming to the church probably for nine or ten years. And he's like, Charlie, how are you doing? And I had, I, had a, I had an opportunity right there. Good, man. How are you? Man, I don't know. Not great. Things just feel weird right now in my heart. And he said, you know, I've been feeling that too. We've had a really good conversation for the next two to three minutes where we are able to experience with one another and with God the freedom of the gospel. That it is okay in this moment to not be okay. And that the freedom and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus did for us hours after this story, I'm able to live in that moment with him. And so as we think about the kind of people that we want to be, the kind of church that we want to be, we want to be a church that fully experiences and shares the gospel and the freedom that comes with it. And we're not going to allow this obstacle to be real for anyone who's out there. And we in here, by our honesty with one another, and our honesty with God are going to experience the freedom and the power of the gospel in ways maybe we never have before. Let me pray.